Welcome to Rise Radio with counselor and prevention expert Randy Havison. Recovery in various forms is something that many of us face every day. Most of us need some sort of intervention to start the process of rebuilding and reconnecting our lives. This program serves to empower you to find new ways of solving old problems. Now, here is your host, Randy Havison. Good morning. This is Randy Havison from Rise Radio coming to you live from Frostburg State University in Frostburg, Maryland. Uh, it was always one of my dreams when I started this show that when I was speaking on a campus on a Wednesday that I could do my show from the campus. So this is my first one, and I'm really excited to be here. But uh, first off, what I'd like to do, we had an interesting little piece of information come across my desk the other day. Turns out that we had our first listeners from Australia last week, which means that Rise Radio is now heard on five continents. So I am just thrilled about that, and our audience in the UK just continues to grow, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And, uh, you know, if, again, if you have any comments, questions, anything about the show and you want to ask, just go to riseradioshow.com. Again, if you go to riseradio.com, that's a different station, different business. Uh, but riseradioshow.com, love to get your questions, your comments. I'd love to hear what's going on over in the U.K. and maybe have someone come on as a guest from over there. So we could definitely work that out. So uh, write and uh, look forward to hearing from you. So let's get right to it. I am really excited today to have my guest uh, with me. Uh, today we have Don Swagger from Frostburg State University, and he has been here for, God, how long have you been in Frostburg, Don? 25 years. Twenty Only 25 years, huh? Only. Wow. <laughs> well, happy quarter of a century anniversary of being here. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and this is a gorgeous campus. It is beautiful, and it's a beautiful day here. I'm just so Glad to be here. Well, we're glad that you're here. We, uh, we, we picked some sunshine and some relatively cooler temperatures, and, uh, but it's, uh, we're, we're super excited that uh, you're on campus with us. Yeah, very excited to be here. So, okay, so first thing I like to do with my guests when they come on the show is kind of a little bit of background on you. I mean, we're going to talk about your program. I want to talk about what's going on nationally, and you've been very involved with the Bacchus Network, and I want to talk about that. Uh, but let's talk about you for a little bit. Let's talk about what got you started with this, and how did you get into the field of alcohol and other drug education? Well, that's a really interesting and probably loaded question, uh, but I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, if, if you go way back there, um, I actually grew up in an alcoholic, drug-addicted home. Mm. And uh, so uh, it wasn't my education that kind of led me, you know, into this particular career path, uh, but actually uh, growing up and kind of watching, especially my father, uh, kind of suffer uh, with his particular addiction over alcohol. Yeah. Um, also had some uh, uncles and, and a brother, you know, who, who struggled a little bit along the way. And uh, thank God he's in recovery now. Nice. Uh, and uh, good news to report that uh, before my father passed away, he was actually sober for five years. Wow. So we're really grateful for that. But uh, nonetheless, you know, I went to school and I thought I wanted to be a business major and that wasn't working out too well. I didn't like really like math or numbers. And so I kind of switched over to... Uh, Therapeutic recreation, of all things. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. and so uh, basically uh, 
My, my first real job in life was working at a drug and alcohol rehab center in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, and, and so that was kind of a start of a, a new adventure for me. Uh, if you would have asked me, you know, that I wanted to work in a drug and alcohol rehab center, I would have said, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't really want anything to do with it. But God does have a sense of humor. Um, yep. I did end up working there. And I really, really enjoyed my time. Uh, not only as a therapeutic recreation specialist, but I eventually became an alcohol and drug counselor, and I was able to to learn really from the best uh, of the best. You know, the Robert Ackerman, C.C. Mm. Knuckles, Abraham Tversky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the folks that have been pioneers in the field. Excuse me, field for many years. I was actually able to meet them in person. So wow. you can imagine, you know, a person fresh out of college, young and wet behind the ears. Uh, but having an opportunity to sit down with these professional folks who, who just really love making a difference in the life of an addict. And, and uh, it, it was just a really special five years that I worked there. And uh, so I, I really got a great experience. And uh, after that, I became the prevention coordinator, the very first prevention coordinator right up the mountain here in Garrett County, Maryland. And so I worked out of the health department for two years and, uh, and then, you know, the, the job at Frostburg opened up, and I've been here ever since for 25. Wow. That's a great little story. You, those are some pretty powerful names. I mean, Ackerman and Tversky, those are, you're right, those are some of the pioneers in the treatment field. That's, that's awesome that you got to learn from them. Well, it, it, it really was, Randy. I mean, I, like I said, I was really super young, just fresh out of college, and and just to have the opportunity to sit with uh, Dr. Robert Ackerman, wow. um, and you know he's written several books, of course, you know Silent Sons, and mm-hmm. you know talking about children of alcoholics and adult children of alcoholics, and it, it just meant so much to me to kind of just have him, you know, to be in his presence and and to kind of sit down and just learn from the very best of the best, and uh, you know it was, it was it was better than being in graduate school. <laughs> really oh, absolutely, was. yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because this has been something that I've realized since I started working in in the field as well, is one of the populations that tends to be overlooked more than any other are those who grew up in alcoholic families. Yeah. I mean, we talk about codependency, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone who's an alcoholic or actual, you know, alcoholism or addiction and getting help for that. But the silent minority out there are the ones who grow up in alcoholic families, and there's so little resources out there for that population. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I mean, they're probably the best-kept secrets, you know. I mean, certainly there are programs to kind of help those of us that kind of grew up you know, in dysfunctional homes. And I say that respectfully. You know, my, my father loved me. There, there's no doubt about it. You know, right. he, he was a functional alcoholic. He, he didn't really miss a whole lot of work, probably a couple years in the 40 years that he worked in the steel mill. Huh. Um, you know, but he was still nevertheless addicted. And, but you're right. You know, there, there's, there's, there's a, a limited supply of, of services. And for whatever reason, you know, a lot of times we just kind of, you know, if we're, if we're fortunate, like I was, to get into treatment and really work on those issues, um, that's great. And if not, then you just kind of have to to pick it up along the way. I do know this, that, that most of us that grow up, you know, in those homes uh, tend to be resilient. And of course, oh, yeah. there's, you know, a lot of school thought about, you know, birth order, 
And, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the hero, the lost child, the mascot, the scapegoat, you know, yep. people take on different roles, you know, as they grow up in those homes and so forth. I was like the hero in my family, yep. and, and, and maybe I'm only speaking on my uh, perspective as a hero. <laughs> <laughs> were you the oldest? I was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, yeah, you were the hero. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I, I can't speak for, like, like my brother and my sister, you know, or my two sisters, they... They really, like my one sister's, you know, she's she's pretty normal, you know, and, and my other sister has some issues, but she's pretty normal, and my brother, he struggled with addiction, but, but he's, thank God, he's in recovery now, yep. and, uh, you know, so addiction really impacts people differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could grow up in the same home and, and have a different perspective of what it was like growing up in that house, but yeah, you're right, um, you don't hear a whole lot of services, uh, uh, like I said, I'm sure that there's there's some out there, but um, you know, yeah, well, maybe we could uh, you know, have some kind of movement, you know, kind of getting some more services uh, for folks that, that grow up in those systems. Yeah, I would love to do that. I mean, I think about the Bacchus organization, and and for those of you who aren't familiar with Bacchus, it's a national organization that works with college students on alcohol and other drug related issues. And I would love to see some type of a program at Bacchus because I'm sure you've seen this too. A lot of peer educators uh, come and want to be peer educators and want to help because they have that personal experience of growing up in an alcoholic family, and this is their way of making a difference. But I, I don't think I've ever seen a presentation or a breakout session or anything that addresses the needs or the recovery aspect of students who are in recovery from ACOA issues. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right, Randy. Um, in all my years of attending, you know, uh, the sessions and the general assemblies, I, I really haven't seen it as well. Yeah. So, Don, I think we have a mission. Because <laughs> here, here's why this issue is so near and dear to me. I remember when I was at James Madison years ago, I started a students in recovery support group. And it started during National Collegiate Alcohol Awareness Week, which was in October. And I had this program, I had programs every night. And one of the programs was, did you grow up in an alcoholic family and do you want some help? And I had three people show up. And I thought, oh, well, you know, my philosophy is you get the same program whether you have three or 30. So I gave them this program, and they were crying, and we were talking about the patterns and, you know, the hero, scapegoat, lost child, mascot, all those different personas and all the things that go into it, and a lot of students, how they feel like, well, when I get to college, it'll be different because I'm not actually in there, but how you take your baggage with you, and and they're crying, and it's like, well, I don't want this to be a one-time program. What can we do? So we started this Students in Recovery Support Group, which was open to any student who was in recovery from any issue. If they said they were in recovery, it could be eating disorder low self-esteem, drug and alcohol, whatever it was, they could come to the group. And our little group started with three and grew to two full groups of 12 each. So it was amazing. It's one of those things where if you build it, they will come. But I would love to see more campuses embrace this idea of helping that overachieving student and or the one who kind of feels left out, who grew up in an alcoholic family and desperately needs the support, but they don't know where to go to get it. Well, yeah, you hit it on the head, Randy. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of creating a safe environment, you know, putting, you know, a flyer up and saying, hey, have you experienced this? Let's talk about it. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like good old-fashioned dialogue. And uh, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, I, I teach a course on campus, and we talk about college health issues. And uh, one of the things, uh, because it has a biological perspective to the class, is I talk about what we're talking about, dysfunctional families, how families are impacted, you know, by any type of an addiction. And I'll tell you what, out of all of the lectures in that 15-week semester, that is the most powerful lecture. Yep. Uh, I have students that are in tears. I have students that ask questions afterwards. Uh, they want to, you know, to know where they can get some help. Uh, they they kind of talk to me because I share my life, you know, my story with them. And uh, I tell you what, the other thing is, is that it really uh, causes a connection like a typical faculty member and student really doesn't have the opportunity to experience, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really opens up a lot of uh, uh, new opportunities and doors for students not only to get into recovery, uh, but to have even just, even if it's just a glimpse of healing, uh, you just kind of plant that seed in their heart and their mind. It's really neat to kind of see them start to grow because a lot of us you know, kind of grew up with don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Yep. You know, and I talk about those roles, you know, that, that, uh, that, that, that are involved. Now, that's R-U-L-E-S, by the way, for our listening audience. I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I do have a little accent. It's not the role that you eat. It's the role <laughs> that you play. <laughs> so I wanted to clarify that a little bit. Because people challenge me all the time, like, what are you talking about? Is that wheat or is that white? But no, it's the, it's the rules. <laughs> but anyways, you know, kind of talk about don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. The pink elephant in the middle of the living room, mm-hmm. it's there, but we're not talking about it. Right. You know, and so many times, you know, these students, they grow up in these homes, and guess what? They come to college. And they come to college, you know, with, with these issues. Uh, the rules of, of, I can't talk about it. You know, I'm not uh-huh. sure how I should be feeling about this. Yep. You know. And uh, Well, they get messages from the time they're really young. You don't talk about mom's alcoholism. You don't talk about dad's addiction. You don't talk about it. So that gets ingrained from the time they're, you know, from the families or the kids are two, three years old. Absolutely. And, you know, when you think about what's going on, unfortunately, in our country right now, is, Randy, people just want to be heard. Yes. You know, that's the bottom line. You know, we're all wounded. We're, I don't care who you are. Some of us are more wounded than others, indeed, yeah. all right? But we all deserve an opportunity for healing. Absolutely. For wounds to be healed. And what's going on in our country is not going to be fixed by one woman or one man. I'll tell you right now, I don't want to become a political uh, conversation, but I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying this, that, that it's related to what we're talking about. People want to be heard. Yes. And I think my mission at Frostburg State University it's for students to create dialogue. I want to give students a voice so they don't have to be under the, the oppression of don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's the whole thing is to let them know that that's part of that old dysfunctional system, but they can break out of it. And, you know, one of the things I, I see more than anything else is these students, they come to college, they're like, whew, finally, I'm out of the house. I don't have to deal with it anymore, and I'm okay. And then they come here, and they seem to be the one that's cleaning up after the ones who are getting drunk in the residence halls. And they're the ones who are always driving people home. And they're the ones who are getting in relationships with alcoholics or or addicts. And they're wondering, oh, my God, I'm repeating these same patterns. And they wonder why. 
So let's talk more about that. We need to take our first break. Uh, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to break those cycles and then talk more about what's going on here at Frostburg nationally with Bacchus. And, and let's talk about how we can be part of the solution rather than continue to let that problem build. So we will be right back after these messages. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. The Compassionate Life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio. Welcome back. This is Randy Havison with Rise Radio, and thank you for tuning in. And again, we definitely welcome your questions or comments. If you'd like to call in and you're listening live, the phone number again is 888-346-9141, or definitely feel free to shoot me an email, randy at riseradioshow.com, and I can read your question or your comment next week on air. Uh, happy to do that, and you know, let's hear from, from some of you who are listening out there. So, you know, before we get back to Don, you, I just keep being reminded of why I chose the name Rise for my speaking business, for the radio show, for everything that I'm doing, because as, as the intro said, RISE is about recovery, and it's recovery from whatever you're in recovery from, and all of us, I think, are in recovery from something. And I is for intervention, that all of us need an intervention in some areas of our lives and either by ourselves, family, friends, professionals, in how can we tweak the things that are going on in our lives in order to be more productive and and healthier with the way that we come at life on a daily basis. And ask for support, that we need support from family, friends, professionals in order to overcome some of the obstacles that life puts in front of us. And E is for education, that it's about learning how to how to do old things in new ways, you know, such as I grew up in an alcoholic family and I don't want to continue those patterns. So becoming educated on what you can do to overcome those, to look at these things differently, to 
get over those hurdles. And, and I'm a believer from my own personal experience that no matter what life throws at you, there's always another side to it. You know, I was on May 16th, 1984, I was five seconds away from, from committing suicide. And thank God I didn't do that. And, and the thing that helped was I reached out for help. And that's the thing that turned my life around. And I know what that desperation feels like. And I know what the early stages of recovery feel like. And it's so difficult, but yes, you can do it. And that's what this whole show is about. It's about hope. It's about recovery. It's about being on the other side of the issue and, again, being of service to others. You know, Dawn is such a phenomenal example of that. You know, came from a household where from the outside everything probably looked like, you know, June Cleaver and, you know, the Cleaver family, and, and on the inside, it wasn't really like that. And I think a lot of us grow up in situations like that, or a lot of people grow up in situations like that, and, and now it's time to look at, okay, that was then, but this is now, and what do I want to do to overcome that? So let's get back to it with Don Swagger from Frostburg State University, a 25-year veteran here at this institution, and even longer being in this field, and he was trained by some of the the master experts that really started the whole treatment field and and philosophy and and I, I can't wait to talk to you later about this too if we run out of time here but let's get back to uh, the growing up in the alcoholic home and what we can do to support students and I think with Bacchus and and the NASPA Strategies Conference and other organizations, I think maybe let's start maybe doing some programming around that and doing a breakout session or two. I think that's a great idea, and I think that there's enough of us out there that certainly, you know, grew up in the system, got some healing, and, um, you know, lived to tell the story and and loved to tell the story Mm -hmm. um, of, of how it's not a hopeless situation. And and that's the thing is, is that, you know, I always thought that I was the only one in the boat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, when, when I got into treatment, I realized that there were a lot of kids just like me. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing that kind of hit home for me, that I'm not the only one. And what a relief it was, because I always felt like I was the only one that was mm-hmm. going through this, you know. And I was the type of person, I was a really nice guy. You know, I was athletic, and, and, and I did pretty well in school. And uh, like you said, like everything on the outside was just peachy. You know, it's like everything's mm-hmm. going good. Oh, he's a nice guy. He's going to be successful, blah, blah, blah. But on the inside, I was hurting. On the inside, I was actually angry. Now, the good thing for me, uh, I was involved in contact sports. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, growing up in western Pennsylvania, I played football and loved every minute of it. Yep. So I was able to kind of take my frustrations out in the legal sense of the word. <laughs> uh, and, and that was good. But still, there was that suppression of my feelings because, again, right. I, I felt like it was wrong to be angry. And it's not wrong to be angry. I just want to – I just feel led to just say this, Randy, that if there's someone out there and that you've been carrying pain or you've been carrying anger – all of your life, and you just felt like, you know, like it's, it's not right that, that you shouldn't be that way, can I just challenge you and encourage you today that it's okay to be angry? Mm-hmm. It's just what you do with it. Right. And, and a lot of times it's just being able to sit down with someone and, and talk about that. I'll never forget one of the first things that I did was I wrote my dad a letter, and I thought, now listen, you don't want me to send this, do you? And the therapist mm-hmm. said, no, no, you're not going to have to send it. It's not a problem. 
just go ahead and do it, and we're going to get to it probably in a couple of days. They made me read the letter. Well, I couldn't get through the letter. I mean, I was just, I was just the tears just come out, you know. It was just, a, I mean, there was just so much pain, so much hurt. And then all of a sudden, I just remembered there was a shift in my feeling and my emotion. I really, I said something, and I don't remember what it was because it was years ago, but it's something that just caused the therapist to say, you know what, you've been angry, Donnie. And I was like, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. And I was able to kind of release that anger in a constructive way. And then I just remember after releasing what felt like two hours yeah. <laughs> of session, um, I, I just, I bawled like a baby. Yep. I just sobbed. I just cried. Because I came to the conclusion, and, and, and this is such a GE light bulb moment for me, and I love sharing this, and, and it's this, that I had this love-hate relationship, and I, and I hated having that love-hate relationship because mm-hmm. I didn't want to hate you know, my dad. But what therapy did for me, just reaching out and getting help, what it did for me was I was able to differentiate between the man from his disease. Right. And what I learned, Randy, was this that I loved the man, and I hated his disease. Yep. Isn't and, that such a significant differentiation? Yes. And, then it, and it was just, it was a GE light bulb moment for me when I realized for the first time that I didn't have to hate my father, and that I didn't hate my father, but I had this, this feeling of anger inside, and I didn't know why, where it was coming from. And it just kind of hit me. I love this man. And I know that he loves me. I just hate his disease. Right. And what it's done to me, what it's done to him, what it's done to our family, Mm -hmm. and what it does to other families. Right. And that was so clear to me. It it really helped me. You know, it was was amazing because it was kind of like the next day, you know, and I was still in treatment, but I was running around like a little kid. Mm-hmm. And and I and I just the therapist just gave me some feedback and they were like, you know, they called me Donnie, you know, and they they said, do you go by Donnie? And I said, like, actually, I prefer that, but like a lot of people that I work with don't really call me that. But if I go back home, I'm Donnie, you know. Oh. And 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 they they started calling me Donnie after that, That's you know, great. because it was like it was so neat for my child to come back alive mm-hmm. and just be able to play. I felt like I had a good time. I really did. I. You know, there was a lot of things that kind of helped me along the way, um, but I still needed that extra boost. I still needed someone to sit down with and process these feelings. And I'm so glad that I did because oh, yeah. it really, really you know, turned things around for me. And so now I'm able to kind of talk to young men and even women, but I, I love deal, dealing with mentoring young men who are angry. A lot of times people are like, oh, I don't want to deal with him. He's angry. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what he's going to say or do to me. I was like, bring him on. <laughs> this dude's angry? Come on. I want to talk to him. They're like, you, are you nuts? I'm like, yeah, I love it. I love it. And, and so a lot of times I'll get guys, you know, young guys that are just extremely angry, you know, and I'll talk about, you know, their values and, 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 I'll, and, I'll, and I'll just share with them that, you know, that they matter and that they're valuable yep. and that they have purpose. And I said, you know what? And you get anger. And I said, that's good. And they just look at me like, what are you talking about? It's good. I said, uh-huh. yeah, it's good. Yep. It gives you energy, you know? It's part of your creativity. It's part of your core. It's part of your story. Yep. But let me tell you what you need to do with it. And I helped them able to see like a beach ball. 
and you're pushing down into the water, and you push it down, push it down, push it down. Eventually, there's so much pressure, it's going to pop up, right. you know? And, uh, you know, as, uh, that's our anger. We push it down, we push it down. All of a sudden, we have explosions. It's like, where did that come from? Yep. We don't have to do that. It's okay to be angry. It's what I do with it. Don't push it down, and don't explode on people. Find the middle happy balance of being okay with the anger, being able to talk about it, being able to process it, and say, you know what? So maybe in the scheme of things, it's not such a big deal. Now, but you know what? Let me, let me bring this up because this is something I would work with my students on, and I think they come in with all of that anger. But what's really going on is the anger is covering up the hurt, the sadness, frustration, disappointment, all those other feelings that are underneath, and it's just easier to call it anger and push it out on other people. So, you know, to use your beach ball analogy, the trick is to let the, the air out and the pressure out so that it doesn't explode. And I think by getting in touch with the hurt and the sadness, and I had this exercise I used to go through that was called the anger tree, where we would kind of break down the anger and we draw two lines and one would be hurt and one would be sadness. And then we take the hurt and, and break that into two categories of frustration and disappointment. And we keep breaking down the anger so that they were actually able to identify what their feelings were and not just you know, go to that, it's anger. Because no, it's not. It's, it's beyond that. And I think you mentioned this, that until you could get to those feelings underneath the anger, you, you stayed sick. But it's once you started exploring those and you were able to cry and be sad and feel the hurt and realize that there's a difference between the man and the disease. You know, it's something that I tell my, my daughter all the time. It's like, I will always love who you are, even though I don't always like what you do. And I tell her that over and over and over, and I think that's a really good differentiation for, you know, people who want to be in recovery and realizing, wow, I'm not alone, and other people feel this, but it's so vital. You know, I, I agree with you. Acknowledge and, and support, hey, I'm just glad you're feeling something. If all you can muster is anger right now, just don't hurt yourself or anybody else. But let's go beyond that. Let's dig a little deeper to get what, what's to what's really happening, because then they can start to heal. Yeah, I totally agree, Randy. And, you know, it's, it's, generally speaking, you know, guys, you know, will, will, will be okay with the anger to a degree, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm angry, you know, kind of big man on campus, so to speak. But what you're saying is so true. You know, they'll, they'll let that show, mm-hmm. but the pain, I'll never let that show. Right. I, I won't cry in front of another guy kind of a deal. Exactly. You know, I've, I've learned that it's okay to do that. I've watched Hallmark movies with my wife, you know, for 30 years. That's what kept my marriage going, right? Yeah. One of the things, you know. Yeah. And I, and I cry right along with her. Sometimes I cry more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but it's so true, and that's why I love working with these guys that come across as being so angry that all of a sudden they begin to get in touch with their, their pain, their mm-hmm. wound, their deep wounds. And it's so powerful. Once oh, they're yeah. able to kind of work on that, move through it, Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a beautiful thing, and then just kind of see them blossom and grow. It, it's just a, a privilege to be able to work with them. Absolutely, and you know, it, it's funny. You, it, I think guys go to the anger, and I watch a lot of women. They go to the sadness. Oh yeah. And they allow themselves to have that. But what I love doing with the women I would work with is to actually get them from the sadness to the anger. 
yep. and let them feel that anger. So it's important. You know, I, I talk about feelings as being a rainbow. You know, you'll never see half of a rainbow, just half of the colors. You either get the whole rainbow or you don't get any at all. So with the feelings, it's important to, to be in touch with every one of them. And what I would say is, you know, name your feelings and, and close your eyes and picture all of them sitting around you, the little girl or the little boy. You know, there's happiness, there's sadness, there's hurt, there's frustration, there's anger. And talk to each one of them and get to know all of them because they're all a part of you. And, you know, the girls were really easy to write, oh, yeah, I'm just sad. I'm sad. Well, what about angry? No, not really. And but when they did get angry, whew, it was like a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's becoming comfortable with all of them, and that can take a long time. But just starting to recognize and saying, "Wow, you know what? I do have all these feelings." That's when the healing starts. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and just to kind of clarify, you know, with our our audience. Um, is that we're speaking on general terms. You know, mm-hmm. when we talk about guys, you know, kind of getting in touch with their anger first, yes. moving into their pain. Females, getting in touch with their pain first, moving into their anger. I've had some women, vice versa. I have some guys, vice oh, versa. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, and so there may be somebody on the audience saying, well, I, I don't identify with that because I, I got in touch with my pain first, then my anger. It's okay. Yep. But they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they both need dealt with. And, and like I said, it's just, it's just an awesome thing. Um, you know, to give people that voice and say, you know what, it's okay to dialogue. It's okay to mm-hmm. feel how you're feeling. Now let's see what we can do with it and then move on. Exactly. And, and that's, the, that's the part that I just love, watching that recovery piece. And another thing, too, that's really important to bring up also is that if there's a genetic predisposition to alcoholism or addiction, it's really important for people to be aware that there is that genetic link. So if there's alcoholism or addiction in your family, it's important to be aware of that because it's really easy to cross that line for, for the actual person. Like you were talking about your brother, and I'm sure there are other relatives too, where addictions, you know, it runs rampant in, in a lot of families. Well, yeah, I refer back to one of the courses that I teach, and I talk about this, the biological risk factors. If you have a, a high biological risk factor, in other words, you know, dad and grandpap and uncles and aunts and so forth, you know, if you have a high biological risk factor, then you have a low trigger level to develop alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Anyone can become an alcoholic. Yep. But, you know, uh, vice versa. If you don't have a whole lot of biological risk factor, then your trigger level is going to be a lot higher to develop alcoholism. That doesn't mean that you can't become one because you could, yes. right? But it's just because of the risk factor. So, yeah, I like to talk to students about that because sometimes they just don't have any idea. And I relate it to heart disease, you know, and then they kind of get the picture after a while. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're smoking a lot of cigarettes and eating a lot of bacon and fried foods and sitting around, okay, and guess what? Mom and dad and uncle and aunt and grandma and pap all had heart disease. Mm-hmm. Your biological risk factor for heart disease is really high. Exactly. Which means your trigger level is really low to develop heart disease. And that's why I'm able to take that analogy and use it with alcoholism. And then people begin to get it. Mm-hmm. So, so you're right. Yeah, biological risk factor is something else that we can help educate our students about. Absolutely. And again, you know, I don't have alcoholism in my family, but yet I got it. 
So, you know, it's, it, it can affect anybody, but again, like, I love the way you put this, you know, the trigger level is a lot lower if you grew up in, in an alcoholic family. Yes. So, yeah, that's a really good point, because I watch that happen all the time. In fact, I had someone in my group who came in as an ACOA, and after talking to him, and I'd hear some of the things he was talking about, I said, you know, let's talk individually one day. Let's set up a meeting, and we started talking, and at first he's like, no, 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 that's not me, that's not me. But the more he was defending, the more it hit him. And then one day he came in and said, you know what, it is me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. Yes, it is. Absolutely. So we need to take one more break, uh, and then we're going to come back. And I really want to talk about what's going on here at Frostburg and talk more about Bacchus and NASPA and the different things that are happening, because you have a 25-year perspective on this. So I want to hear your take on, on some of the things that are going on. So when we come back from this short break, more with Don Swagger from Frostburg State University, and we'll be right back after these messages. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are, or if you even have no faith, you are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience, as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning into the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio. Welcome back. This is Randy Havison with Rise Radio. 
And we are here live at Frostburg State University with Don Swagger here in the Berg. And it has been so awesome being in here. And, you know, I was just thinking, I was talking to Don about this at the break. You know, when I started doing the show, you know, I, I kind of wanted to throw it out there and whatever happens, happens. And I had a whole different agenda of what I thought we were going to be talking about today. But I have really enjoyed talking to Don and, and talking about this issue because I felt like it so, it so needs a voice. And I love the fact that we can be flexible with the agenda for the show and kind of go with it. But again, I'm looking forward to the listeners, to your feedback on are there people or topics that you would like for me to address on the show? Uh, so again, I, I highly encourage you to send an email. Go to riseradioshow.com. And our form is right there. I actually only have a home page with a comment sheet on there, a place to sign up for the newsletter if you want more information on a monthly basis. But please go to the, the website and, and shoot me some comments. So if you have a guest that you'd like to hear from, if you'd like to be a guest, if there are topics you want me to talk more about, less about, uh, there's a place for your comments. So uh, riseradioshow.com. And you can make your comments there. So here we are at Frostburg State University in the middle of nowhere, Maryland. But it is so beautiful here. I, I was just blown away by the trees and, and how gorgeous it is around here. And you've been here for 25 years. So, you know, what did you see, you know, when you first got here? And did they have any kind of an alcohol and other drug education program? Were you the first one to put it together? What was that like for you? And where is it today? So run through the history of, of the SAFE program a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, thanks for the opportunity again, Randy. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, when I came on board, uh, th there was a program in place. Uh, we actually had uh, a graduate student that was running uh, the SAFE office at the time. Wow. And prior to uh, her position, uh, there was a young man uh, who did it for a couple of years. And, you know, there, there was a little bit of sustainability, and they were doing some what I call basic 101 programs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like alcohol 101, drug 101. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, if students got into trouble, uh, they'd have to come to a program on Saturday, and so to speak. And so one of the first things that, that I really was passionate about was, is, you know, getting to know some of the students that were involved in the program. And, uh, you know, my first day, there was one student that stopped by, and she introduced herself, and she said, well, I'm the newly elected president. And I said, great. Tell me a little bit about yourself. She did. I said, uh, okay, so where are the other students? And she said, well, there's three of us. I said, great. I said, let's get started. So I met the other two, and, um, you know, we immediately began to knock on doors. We, uh, you know, and back in the day, you know, I didn't really have some – it was a low-tech equipment, if you know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about. And yep. uh, so we made some cheesy flyers, and uh, you know, we did some basic information tables and some recruitment tables over in our student center. And uh, you know, by two weeks into the semester, we had 25 students as wow. part of our network. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, How many students are here at Frostburg? Well, we have just a little under 5,000 students. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, so at that point, uh, what I really wanted to focus in on was the power of peer education. Yep. And um, so what I did was is I took those 25 students and I began just training them, just kind of pouring myself, you know, into them. So any time that we were together, uh, they, they were learning. They were learning about leadership. They were learning about college health issues. 
you know. And then I talked about vision and mission. And I said, you know what, we have a constitution, but we need more. We need a vision. You know, why are we doing what we're doing? So we kind of did a lot. We did so much leadership stuff because I'm very passionate about leadership. And, um, you know, the, the, the next year we were able to recruit 25 more. Mm-hmm. And so for many years, you know, we kind of averaged between 40 and 55 students in the wow. network, which is really good. On a campus of about, this size? That's yeah. amazing. yeah. Now, in the past couple of years, we've kind of gone down in numbers. You know, yeah, that happens. I think lots of reasons for that. Yep. But uh, the historical approach was this. I wanted my students to become part of the office. In other words, take ownership in the program. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to hear from them and say, okay, this is what I have to offer. Now, show me, tell me who you are, what you're about, what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And let's develop some programs where we don't tell people what to do and what not to do. We're not going to be a group that's against anything, all right? But we're going to be talking about what we're for, Mm -hmm. and that's responsible decision-making. What we're for is about healthy choices. And so we started to explore opportunities and say, you know what? We're not going to have these dry programs, but they're going to be engaging. They're going to be uh, interactive. They're going to have activities and icebreakers and team builders, you know, affiliated with educational programs. And we're going to give them some good information. We're not going to repeat information that they learned in middle school. But why is it relevant as a college student? And some things that sometimes typically get overlooked, we're going to repeat that information because guess what? They didn't get it in middle school. They didn't get it in high school. And they took it to college with them. So we're going to kind of clarify some things. And then over the years, we got into social norms. We got into uh, environmental strategies, you know, and policymaking and the importance of that. You know what? Let me, let me interrupt you for a second because we talk about social norming, uh, but some of the listeners might not be familiar with that term. Sure. So to talk a little bit about what is a social norming, just an example of what social norming is, because I think it's highly effective when used in the right way. So you know, explain, give me an example of what a social norming thing would be. Yeah, we know through research that college students typically overestimate the amount of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use that occurs on, on campuses across our country. And so there's these misperceptions about college life. Yeah. Now we know that, that that students party. We we know that you know there are high rates of binge drinking. Yeah. We we know the horror stories, but what we don't know is the fact is that most of these college students are actually making pretty good choices. Mm-hmm. And like if you open the newspaper, you turn on the news. Guess what? How much of it is good news versus bad news? Yeah. How much of it makes you happy versus makes you sad or angry or upset? Yep. Okay. So what social norms is is for an opportunity. You know, for us to kind of get together, we collect data, you know, about use of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. And then what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll put that into poster forms or videos and we'll say, hey, did you know that 83% of our students drink once a week less or not at all? Mm-hmm. Or that 80% of our students prefer to go to uh, parties that are drug-free? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we're doing is we're constantly challenging the misperceptions of alcohol, tobacco, and other drug use uh, by, you know, our publications, social media, posters, videos, incentive items, and and that kind of thing. I hope that answered the question for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the easiest one that I give as an example, you know, rather than advertising 20% of students drink and drive, let's advertise 80% of students don't drink and drive. 
Exactly. And that way, those 80% know that, oh, wow, it's, not everybody drinks, not everybody does this, and I'm actually part of the majority. Right. So, yeah. So, okay, so you're doing a social norming campaign here, and yeah. you're finding that it was very successful. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we really began to kind of see, you know, our statistics change at that point. And, uh, yeah, the thing is, is that Frostburg had a, a, a party reputation for a lot of years. And so, you know, even like during freshman orientation, you know, people that, that came to school 30 years ago, you know, their parents or aunts and uncles, and they've got nieces and nephews and sons and daughters coming now. Well, if they're kind of sharing the horror stories, the war stories of what it used to be like 30 years ago, mm-hmm. then students, you know, they just, it's amplified. They just kind of like say, well, yeah, I guess it's still that way, but you know what? It's not that way. Yep. In 30 years, Frostburg State University has changed dramatically. I mean, you know, we have an engineering program. You know, it used to be a teacher's school, oh. you know, education. And we've got a great education program to this day. We're known for that. But yet now we have so many more majors, and we're so much more comprehensive. And we're kind of reaching out to the region. We have a new president uh, who just came on board in May, and nice. he's got a lot of great ambition and ideas. He's so down to earth. He's very passionate about education and more importantly, passionate about students. And, and really, you can just tell that he believes in, in, in students. That's great. And, and it's so important to have that support from upper administration when you want to do a program like this. Absolutely. You know, and, and we were fortunate. Um, Dr. Gibraltar, you know, he, he was our, our previous president, and, you know, he was very, very um, actually nationally known as it relates to, to policymaking and, you know, kind of taking a stand against binge drinking and, and, um, you know, spoke nationally, you know, about the issues. So we were very fortunate to have him as a leader uh, in the field, and we're really fortunate now to have uh, Dr. Novacek, you know, who is a very passionate person and, uh, you know, has a lot of good ideas, and, and we're just kind of, you know, waiting for some of those things to come to fruition. But like I was saying, you know, along with social norming, you know, environmental strategies, I tell students this, for every environmental factor you need an environmental strategy. In other words, you're going to have to take a look at, do you have policies? Well, that's good. But the thing is, Randy, as you know, if you just have policies that are in a book, you know, and students have no idea where they're at, Mm -hmm. or if you have policies that are just kind of written down, but they're not aggressively or consistently enforced, then they're just words on a piece of paper. Exactly. So I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we have, you know, chief police on our campus, that, that works really well with the, uh, the city of Frostburg police. We have a Frostburg community coalition that we bring all walks of life together to kind of talk about the issues. Um, our law enforcement officers are truly community police officers. In other words, before the semester begins, they're knocking on doors and saying, hey, how you doing? Oh, that's you know, great. We want you to be successful. We want you to have a good time, but we expect you to be responsible. Mm-hmm. This is your home away from home, so we just hope that uh, that you'll take care of it. And and I tell you what, that that, that approach is a great approach. We just started Absolutely. a program about a year and a half ago, and, and and it's really beginning to take off called Frostburg Cares. And basically, you know, it's a, a a program that our mission is basically for the university and the city of Frostburg to become even stronger, united, and just provide random acts of kindness. And, and just demonstrate that, you know, Frostburg cares. That's great. Whether you've lived here for 30 years or 50 years or you're a brand-new student, you're a freshman, you know, this is our home, mm-hmm. you know, for the next nine months. And let's make the best of it. 
while we're all here together. You know, because communities, college towns, there's a lot of, you know, misinformation, mm-hmm. you know, about college students, vice versa. College students will come from inner city and they'll say, oh, you know, I don't know about these country folk. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so there's this barrier. There's this, you know, communication gap. There's this well, it's that town-gown thing that you hear a lot about, and I'm sure that happens here a lot. So I think it's great that you're out in the community because that will draw the community closer to the campus. Absolutely. And what we talked about in our first segment, you know, the opportunity to give the community, to give students a voice, uh, an opportunity to dialogue and just say, hey, you know, if you're afraid, tell us why. What's going on? What's behind that fear? Mm-hmm. Because maybe if we sit down and chat, we can kind of figure out where it's coming from and what we can do about it so that you're not afraid anymore. Exactly. And, and you know, we're, we're fine. And I think that it's because of recent events that students don't feel as safe as they used to. Right. And so we're being really intentional, you know, about community policing you know, really the Frostburg Cares message and, you know, just, just, just being compassionate and respectful to one another. Exactly. And, and I remember, you know, when I was in the small towns, one of the most powerful programs we would do is to have the peer educators go to the local high schools and talk to the kids there. It was so Absolutely. powerful. Yep, we do that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm glad you do. Don, I cannot thank you enough. I think we need to do this again sometime. I'll, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, we definitely have to do this again because we're about ready to sign off here. And um, we're going to be back next week, as always. And I have some really great guests lined up um, to, to come on here. Everyone from uh, Gary Mandel from the organization Shatterproof is going to be joining us. Uh, as well as some other folks that I'm really excited about, Mike Domish, uh, John from Oregon State University. I forgot his last name, sorry. But uh, tune in next week. We have more for you, especially as, as we get into National Recovery Month. And thank you again for tuning in, no matter where you are in the world. Thank you for tuning in. And this has been Rise Radio with Randy Havison, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Rise Radio. Please join your host, Randy Havison, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, have a great week.